welcome to the Hemp Can Do It podcast. I'm Katia. Today, we have a very special guest, Josh Hendricks. Josh is joining us by phone from sunny California. He is the current president and on the board of directors for the U.S. Hemp Roundtable. He also serves as the director of hemp production for CV Sciences, where he works with numerous universities, farmers, and businesses. In his spare time, he hosts the Hemp Happy Hour podcast. We discuss the Kentucky hemp industry, his experience growing hemp on his family's Mayflower farm, and of course, Wisconsin's hemp history and its bright future. Why don't we start by you telling us, um, our Wisconsin hemp community here, a little bit about yourself and what, what brought you to hemp. My grandfather's buddy, and when I was growing up, was a gentleman from Kentucky named Gatewood Galbraith, who was an attorney but also an independent politician who ran for everything from uh, U.S. Senate to governor of Kentucky, and obviously never guarded much of the vote, but <laughs> was looked at as a bit of an outsider, and now probably just simply ahead of his time because he was traveling across the state in a biodiesel Mercedes with Willie Nelson talking about how we should legalize cannabis. And he met both plants, uh, but he certainly knew the difference. And so I knew all this about him. I remembered the Gatewood stickers and that they would pass out at this, this court days thing that we had in our hometown. And I'd met him a couple times, and he gave me his book when I was in college in the mid 2000s called The Last Free Man in America. And I read it. And in that book, they talk about marijuana a lot and some of his activism with that, but also uh, hemp. And so I was like, well, kind of like I'd heard of hemp. I had hemp sandals from Rainbow at the time. And, uh, I was like, well, what's the difference? I always thought hemp was just the stalk of the marijuana plant because, you know, you could make rope and stuff out of it. And, uh, basically, once after reading that book, I realized that hemp is food and fiber and Mm-hmm. Uh, basically a commodity in every other industrialized nation in the world except for the U.S. What I also learned was that Kentucky had one of the richest histories, Wisconsin does as well, of producing hemp. And so I thought that would be cool. I was in college trying to figure out what to do, and I started to reach out to people from the movie Hempsters Plant the Seed, where Woody Harrelson plants the seed and gets arrested on purpose to draw attention to the fact that every other country, industrialized nation in the world grows hemp as a commodity, and we're not allowing our farmers this opportunity. But in the mid-2000s, there was not a whole lot you could do. Those guys kind of said, look, we tried in the 90s, and until there's federal legislation that allows this, there's really nowhere you can go with it. It's not like marijuana now. This is, again, before that even happened, where you can legalize it in the state and just keep it within the state boundaries, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I moved away for uh, after college to South Carolina and worked to move to Richmond, Virginia four years later, and I'm living in Richmond, Virginia, and quite frankly, just not very happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to figure out a next move. I tell people all the time I was so unhappy I was considering law school, which if you know me, <laughs> that's very laughable. Uh, <laughs> but so I, I, all of a sudden, kind of out of nowhere, uh, I was home for Thanksgiving in 2000. I was home for uh, Keeneland in October of 2013, which is the horse races. Happens mm. twice a year. Uh, in the news, Jonathan Miller, who's now the general counsel for the roundtable, and um, – Jamie Comer, who's now our, our one of our congressmen from Kentucky, who was our ag commissioner at the time, we're talking about him. And I thought, well, man, if Kentucky actually does this, we'll be one of the first states. I'd love to be out in front of that. Mm-hmm. So being in Richmond, Virginia, keeping up with what they were doing and their trips to D.C., I actually started uh, working with Jason Amatucci and the Virginia Industrial Hemp Coalition. 
and kept following this. And then in February of 2014, when the farm bill passed, I walked to my boss's office the next day and quit my job. And he said, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to move home to Kentucky and get involved in the hemp industry. Mm-hmm. He said, well, you know that doesn't exist, right? And it didn't. Uh, this is February of 2014. Nobody had planted hemp. We didn't even know if we were going to be able to get seeds that year. But I just knew that I wanted to figure it out. So instead of going to business school or law school, I went to hemp school. In 2014, I spent uh, working with some of the pilot projects in Kentucky, University of Kentucky, Murray State as well, on the university side, uh, but also just networking and trying to figure right. out what my place might be in the industry. Uh, I had a small family farm that I grew hemp on in 2015, 16, and 17. Uh, 2015, late 2015, when I got the, this job with CV Sciences as director of hemp production, uh, it developed into this road show speaking gig. Mm. Uh, I started my own podcast, the Hemp Happy Hour, mm-hmm. and uh, it just really stayed involved with mainly the legislation, but also the domestic production. Because at CV Sciences, we've been growing all our hemp in the Netherlands because uh, it hadn't been legal in Kentucky. We were kind of at that forefront of the CBD market, and so my job quickly became to transition that model to American farmers and, and using the universities and the Rodell Institute that we work with. Uh, to get that research so that we knew what seeds, when to plant, how to plant, when to harvest, and that kind of stuff. And now uh, it's kind of led to where we are now with growing uh, a very significant amount of hemp here in the United States this year in 2019. And uh, certainly lots of legislative work still to be done with the different states in my role as president of the U.S. Hemp Roundtable. So mm. a lot going on, and it's hard to believe how far we've come in uh, you know, five years and three months, three months or whatever since the farm bill passed. So the farm bill passes and Kentucky decides we're, we're going to jump in there. So when was the first time that you could grow hemp in Kentucky? 2014 or 15? 14, there was eight pilot projects and 32 acres planted in Kentucky, which doesn't seem like a lot. It wasn't. It wasn't a lot, but it was a step in the right direction. There was um, you know, some private farmers doing some things that I was working with there in Kentucky uh, that are still involved in the program, and there was obviously the university projects. And so uh, you know, everybody had a handful of acres here to see what would what would be, and the funny part is that a lot of that seed got confiscated by the DEA and customs coming from Europe, and we actually had to go to court and sue the DEA to release the seeds because they were protected under this new pilot program. Right. It's just, it was a lot of confusion and, and misunderstanding about what was trying to be done and that we were trying to do it properly, and you know, it goes into what you know, what eventually became the USM Brown deal because the industry needed a voice and needed a mm-hmm. strong presence both in D.C. and all these state capitals where, uh, you know, there is confusion. It's just a lot of misunderstandings yeah. and uh, uneducated people because we haven't had hemp here. Yeah, we're, we're, decades, so. we're kind of going through that here ourselves. And I know that um, sometimes law enforcement, I mean, their, you know, their job is to, to protect their communities. And so we really need to stay out there and educate in a sense we, we're really educating people a lot of the time about hemp they just don't know enough about it yet we're going to be doing some uh we've got we're working with some farmers there in wisconsin i've been talking to them at length about you know you guys are in the same phase as us maybe two years ago you know even your ag department still calling our ag department saying now, how do y'all <laughs> deal with this how do you deal with this right and as a friend i'm friends with all those people we have one of the best ag departments in the country especially when it comes to hemp because of our leadership and also the, the administrators there that just run an amazing program but it is hard to figure out it's hard to go from radical prohibition to full legalization and, and understand and get people to understand you know exactly what we're doing so when you grew hemp on your on your family farm how much did you did you grow and were you there like hands-on through the planting and harvesting and everything yeah so um in 2004 
15, I did it all myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I was working with a lady out of New York who wanted to grow hemp for high-end fashion from the fiber. And uh, she, uh, she maybe in a little over her head. You know, I, I don't want to smudge her good name, but um, just a lot of people tried things to see if they would work. And it was only about uh, six or seven acres that year, I believe. Right. Uh, it was uh, it was probably a fifty percent crop failure, mm. um, just because we had some crazy weather that summer. In fact, it was every summer. But again, you're dealing with you know, no no herbicides or pesticides, which right. is great. We also don't have any organic herbicides or pesticides for it. And you're just kind of going out there and seeing what happens. In 2016, when I started growing for seeding sciences, both 16 and 17, we grew 11 acres each year. My farm's only 100 acres, and we have a pretty good uh, calf-cow operation and hay, obviously. Uh, it's not certified, but it is an organic farm. And so, again, you know, hemp was a great replacement for our little tobacco crop we had grown 10, 12 years ago before we took the tobacco buyout. And then, obviously, I, I was very hands-on with the other farmers around the state that we were working with. But so 15 and 16 actually had some help. Uh, from some neighbors and some young folks that were trying to get in and learn. And then they're actually growing their own hip crop now. We're just not putting any on my farm. Mine was more of a, a research ground um, mm. for a while there. And I will say it was great for us because the hay we put in and the, the pasture we put in behind the hemp crops is the best we've ever seen. So uh, <laughs> it worked out well for me either way. And we were getting, you know, it wasn't like we lost money because we were being paid to research, not necessarily right. to produce. And now we've obviously transitioned to some farmers that really are producers and then that's how they make their living. And, that's what they do. I, I, I joke, you know, everybody says, oh, Josh is a hemp farmer. I said, well, I tried. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't quit because I don't want to be a hemp farmer. I just, I travel about, I don't know, 200 days a year. Right. And, uh, it was it was impossible. Now, that's not to say we won't throw a, a little crop back out there that somebody else will take care of. You know, one of my neighbors is growing as well just because I have the space. But that's more of a hobby farm to begin with. And I, I really wanted to you know, do this for the farmers. And my farm is not a real farm <laughs> in terms of production farm so uh it's good to see that transition now to real commercial and, and scalable farming so tell me how since um i agree with you i think that and it's one of the reasons i, I really wanted to have you on I, I i think that wisconsin is you know two years behind in a sense we grew for the first time last year 2018 so you know you guys have already gone through some changes and some growth that we haven't so tell me how everybody kind of got on board so the universities. Uh, politicians, the ag department, private industry. How did you begin to form that infrastructure um, throughout these last few years? Well, you know, what happened, obviously, with the politicians was real people started having real conversations. No Mm -hmm. offense to anybody that's lobbied for hemp for the past 20 years, but a lot of them are more on the the word hippie side. (laughs) Um, A lot of them are wonderful, wonderful advocates, but really don't have any basis for it. They just think it should be legal. Now, I agree with them wholeheartedly, but there was really no plan or structure or anything like that as to what would happen. And now, that's not to, to, to you know, besmudge them or, or any, in any way. It just, what really changed was big-time ag people, people with, mm-hmm. uh, with real money, and then, quite frankly, real farmers, the people that are really going to benefit from this. And then, you know, when Mitch McConnell and those guys started talking about hemp, it wasn't about Anything other than the farm. Obviously, what came along next was the economic opportunity and the uh, job creation for processing and businesses and all the newness that's coming with it and the boom we're seeing. But it started with the farmer, and I think getting the politicians on board, those two things were the biggest key. Now, you know, getting retailers on board was hard, obviously, because they were risking a lot because this was very questionable. Getting um, 
law enforcement on board was hard in some places and easy in others because some law enforcement were like, this is great. You know, this is right. uh, a good opportunity for Kentucky or wherever they were. And they realized like how silly you would be to worry about something that's not intoxicated, referring to CBD, obviously. You go down to the consumers, and what happened with the consumers was they were finally you know, hearing about this new opportunity. Now, there's still a ton of education, but the ones we have are pleased because everything we're saying and doing, it, it, it's not old, basically, right? I mean, mm-hmm. hemp is good. It's, it's good all the way through. And so once you explain that to people and really just give them a simple education of hemp and why it's not intoxicating, it's harmless, but it's also very helpful both for both the soil, the economy, the farmer, the consumer, the mm-hmm. retailer, et cetera. It's a win-win-win. Uh, it really was just an education process. So 2018, so fast forward to 2018, and then hemp becomes an agricultural crop. Has that, um, you know, in, in terms of funding or more, I guess, acceptance from the public, did that? Did you see that help um, hemp no, that, go mainstream? That's a very good point. Yeah, it's a very good point. I mean, a lot of the big money, you know, what's been holding us back for the first four years really was the newness and the education part. And the new farm bill, once that passed, mm-hmm. I think what you saw was a lot of the money that's been sitting on the sidelines really come to the table. I mean, you're talking about hedge fund money from New York and, and really wow. industry-type money that can create the big kind of processing centers and really capture, you know, people are going to capture the market sooner than later. So millions and millions of dollars being invested on equipment and people and machines and things like that to really now that they know, okay, this is an agricultural crop, as you said. The USDA has issued some great uh, public opinions and mm-hmm. uh, or legal opinions that have come straight from the USM Brown table. People are actually starting to see the path to, uh, you know, a commodity that produces many different things, from fiber to food to uh, supplements. And I think it's we're just scratching the surface. Definitely. And in Kentucky, what um, are growers growing? Are they growing for grain or for CBD, or is it a mix of of both? Oh, it's may. I mean, it's mainly CBD. Uh, there's definitely some, some grain producers. Uh, Victory Hemp Foods is a big one in Kentucky, uh, and then one of the largest fiber companies in the country is, is located in Kentucky, Sunstrand, and they grow all over the place. But there's one of their processing facilities in Kentucky. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely mainly um, CBD. A lot of female hemp plant production going on because that's where all the big money is right now. And I tell farmers all the time, look, if somebody's offering you the kind of money I'm hearing, then go get it. You know, I mean, if if someone hates you a check with that much money, take it. Don't, but don't plan your life around it because it ain't gonna last that long. Yeah, that's that's Um, always my question. How long do you think the CBD boom of kind of boutique? farms. Um, my husband and I actually uh, grew hemp last year and we're growing this year, but we're not growing, you know, 50, 100 acres. We're, you know, we're a small farm. It was a hobby farm. And so we kind of jumped, jumped on the, the, the hemp wagon. But how long do you think um, it will last? What are you, what are you thinking? <laughs> Maybe no question. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not, I wish I was an economist. I can really project this out. But I, I mean, I just think it's simple economics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's, there's a huge rush, and farmers will overproduce everything. So now that hemp's legal, we're going to overproduce it. I right. tell people all the time, there will never be a shortage of hemp ever again. Uh, so, you know, you've got to play that game of do you price, how do you price, uh, and it's a reach to efficiency. You know, your, your input cost is going to determine what you're willing to sell it for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the lower you can get that input cost, the more efficiently you can produce it, you know, the, the more money you're going to make and the better you can margins. I tell people all the time, I mean, they ended up just giving away marijuana in Oregon and Canada last year to get it off their books because wow. 
they overproduce, but they also are spending a ton of money. So growing it like a horticultural crop, and have, you know, as a botanist or uh, you know, manicuring these plants individually and things like that, is not going to be the probably the most efficient way. You know, if, right. if a gram of cannabis in Canada cost seven dollars, uh, I'm sorry, a uh, dollar fifty, and it costs you three dollars to produce it, mm-hmm. you're out of business. So there's all kinds of people racing to get to that, you know, under the dollar mark and things like that. But that's how anything's going to go. So getting people to understand that and hopefully racing towards efficiency. Obviously, quality is huge, but if you can't produce quality, I mean, it's just like with hemp fiber. If plastic is ten cents a pound and hemp fiber is fifteen cents a pound, what do you think people are going to buy? You know, I mean, if we can make them equal, of course people are going to choose hemp because it is better. It's lighter. It's more durable. And it's better for the environment, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But it still has to be price competitive. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the market will play itself out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I could never, I, I would never try to tell you when that's going to happen or how that's going to happen. It happens all, it's happening now, right? Mm-hmm. People are growing it and being told, oh, that, that acre's worth $25,000, which is insane. And then at the end of the summer, they're like, wow, I have $25,000 to give you. My grandfather used to tell me when I had basketball cards, I'd show him in my becket, you know, how much <laughs> they were worth. And he'd be like, no, it's not. Like, what do you mean? It says right here. It's worth $75. He's like, until you find someone willing to give you $75, and you have right. $75 in your hand, it's not quite worth that. So um, I think people need to be skeptical, obviously, if they're growing. Uh, if you have contracts in place, that's the number one place to start. And if you can get numbers and everything dialed in before the contract, that's phenomenal. I think we will enter a point where, obviously, hemp becomes a commodity and those prices affect everything. But hemp flour will be graded, similar to tobacco. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it'll have values based on CBD. It maybe have values based on other cannabinoids and, and, and different properties in the long term. Long term, uh, But you will see a race to efficiency, and people have to focus on that. There is, to your point, there is artisan farms, and there is a market for that, and people like to buy local and all that stuff. And if you can do that and be the local brewery, great but there are other you know there's going to be the anheuser bushes of the industry too <laughs> that are growing right. come on, I mean, let's be real um so yeah there's still room for everybody i just think you have to know you know what you're looking for and how you're trying to do it and no matter what uh, you know, quality and full traceability and knowing from step to step that by the time you get to a finished product uh, it, that's very important too so let's right. not you know lose sight of that well, I certainly have been inspired by you. I've been listening to your podcast for a long time. And full disclosure, it's kind of how I got the idea to, to approach our local community radio station and, and throw my hat in there, and they gave me a Love podcast. It. So <laughs> we just started last year here in Wisconsin. So, um, you know, we're trying to build our infrastructure, build a community, um, have outlets like this, like a podcast, and hopefully um, actually start an HIA chapter. I think that that would be actually really good for our state to, to do something like that. And like you said, just be passionate and uh, and help to, to educate people because hemp is here. Um, and it's hopefully will be here for a long time. It's a long time coming. Yes. And like I said earlier, Wisconsin has a phenomenal history with hemp. Mm-hmm. Like to think, oh, Kentucky grew all the hemp back in the war days. Well, we grew all the seed. You guys actually grew all the hemp because mm-hmm. uh, you guys could grow it taller and stronger. So we did all the propagation and sell the seed up to you guys to grow it in Michigan and uh, even New Jersey and Pennsylvania and straight across there where you guys are. Uh, was really a lot, a lot of the fiber production happened up there. So good for Wisconsin for getting on board, man. I know, like I said, we're working with the, the folks at Driftless um, this summer. We're going to see 
try to get some, some scaled production trials going and see what we can do up there in Wisconsin. So excited about it. Nice. Well, thank you so much for taking a little bit of your time, and I hope to talk to you again sometime. Yeah, thanks for having me. I love your, I love your story. I can't wait to tell, <laughs> tell my girlfriend that someone started a podcast. <laughs> All right, Josh. Thank you so much. Talk soon. Thanks. Well, Josh has truly done it all, from growing hemp to starting several hemp advocacy organizations to now working with the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, which has been instrumental in helping to pass hemp legislation in many states throughout the country. You can find Josh on Instagram and Twitter, at Hendrix Hemp. Thank you, Josh, for joining us on the Hemp Can Do It podcast, and thank you for listening. Thank you.